Hi. It's nice to be here today. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Scott Mueller, and I don't do this very often anymore. So, um, I do it with much fear and trembling, actually. I take really seriously opening up um, God's Word to you. So, God, I just ask for your help today. God, fill us with your your Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts. Um, Lord, there's something I need to hear today, and I, I pray that you'd make it clear uh, to me. And I thank you that you will answer that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in uh, looking around the room for football fans, in 19, uh, in 1960, the Green Bay Packers came within one quarter of winning the NFL championship. They were winning in the fourth quarter, and they blew it. And they ended up losing to the Philadelphia Eagles. And the next year, the Green Bay Packers coach, Vince Lombardi, uh, gathered his troops together for the 1961 season. And on their first um, their first day of practice, he gathered everyone together, and he picked up a football, and he said, Gentlemen, this is a football. Then he said, please open to page one of the playbook. And he began that way every single year after that. Incidentally, in 1961, Green Bay Packers won the NFL championship. Um, my Detroit Lions did not, nor have my Detroit Lions ever won a, uh, a NFL championship. But what I'm going to say to you today may seem very simple, but brothers and sisters, this is a Bible. This is a Bible. And this is what we stake our lives on. This is how we learn. This is how we grow. This is how we know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. This is it. It's here. We have it in our hands. And not everyone outside of these walls, nor even people in the churches, in our community, hang on to this book. They don't think this book is really worth reading. I, I want to reconvince you that this book is worth reading, is worth studying, but most of all, and this is the critical part of it, worth applying to your life specifically. Now that may seem like this is a football kind of a statement, but we can't take that for granted. I want to remind you of a couple of things today. And we, we sang, so thank you for the, the hymns that we sung today. It's such a beautiful focusing our attention on God and, and all the biblical truth that was, that was involved in that. Let me, let me remind you of a few things today. We are here in the presence of God right now in this church. Tables falling over, kids running around or whatever. We are in the presence of God right now. How do I know that? Psalm 139 tells me that we are in God's presence. There's nowhere that we can go that God is not there. He created us, Colossians 1.16. He loves us, Ephesians chapter 3, 18 through 20. He provides for us 
And he sustains us. He holds everything together, Colossians 1.17. We have a Father who loves us, who loves you right now, right where you're at, warts and all, everything. He loves us, Psalm 103. We have a Savior who gave his life to pay for all of your sins. You're forgiven. Right at this moment, you sit holy, pure, and forgiven. If you put your trust in Christ, you're forgiven. John 2.2, 1 John 2.2. You're forgiven. There is no condemnation that can be brought against you. Romans 8.1. None. No condemnation. Jesus is alive today. Every single gospel. He is alive today. And Jesus is coming again. Revelations 22.7. He's coming again. He is coming again. It doesn't seem like it. Seems like everything's like wildly out of control. But Jesus is coming again. He's coming and he's going to take his church to be with him. He's coming. The day is coming. It could be tomorrow. He's coming again. We have the scriptures, God's holy word, 2 Timothy 3.16, which is wonderful and active and gets right to the heart of the matter with us. And we have the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, that helps us to apply God's Word. And that is the most important step in it. A lot of us know a lot of Scripture. What we apply of that, not pointing any fingers, what we apply of that, so much more. So I'm, I'm going to encourage us today towards God's Word. And, and that may seem very simple. Now, living a Christian life in our society today is not easy, but it is simple. Jesus said, if you love me, what will you do? You'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. We don't know how to obey him if we don't know what God's Word says. That's what we're going to talk about today for a couple of minutes. Um, I, I want to encourage us to be simply, sincerely devoted to Christ through applying God's Word in our lives and getting to know who He is. Now, um, to be honest, that is not, and I've, I've been a pastor and I've taught God's Word and I've studied God's Word, it is not my default to live a God-centered life. I hope that doesn't come as a shock to you. Maybe you don't want to listen to me now, but that's not, that's not my default. I, I tend to be a, uh, a self-driving Christian. We, we hear about self-driving cars in San Francisco and all the problems they cause. Think about the self-driving Christians that we have all around us and even within our churches that cause all kinds of issues as well. I, I tend to be a Scott-driving Christian, and my, my wife is really good about pointing that out, about helping me to see when I'm not actually applying God's Word. And I appreciate that later, usually, <laughs> when she helps me with that. When I look back at the times of my life that were not simple, the times of my life that were very complicated, almost every single time had to do with me either 
not knowing what God wanted me to do or not wanting to do what God wanted me to do. And the way that I would describe my life then was complicated. Someone would ask me about my life, and the only way I could, well, you know, it's, it's complicated. That was really my way of saying, I don't really want to do what God wants me to do. So I'm going to ask you a pointed question today. Is your life complicated? Is it complicated? All right, so we're going to dig into God's Word. There's all kinds of stuff that's running around. You're like, how long is this guy going to talk? This is what I'm going to do this afternoon. This is what I have to do next week. Where are my kids? There's all kinds of stuff. We're going to just set all of that aside for a second, okay? All of our all of our stuff that would want to distract us. And um, Christina prayed for us this morning that that would be the case. Um, all the demands, let's set it aside. Stop, and we're just going to quiet our hearts and simply listen to what God has to us today. Uh, Paul's going to help us to evaluate where we're at. We're getting started. Take a look in your your uh, bulletin there, and you're going to see a couple of verses we're going to focus on. My main, the main passage we're going to focus on today is Second Corinthians eleven three, which says, "I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray." from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, I need to give you a little bit of background on 2 Corinthians. Um, Don't tune out. This is important. This is not, the book of uh, 2 Corinthians is not an annoying uh, email from one of your coworkers. Um, So we actually have to know what's inside of it. So if I'm just grabbing one of the verses out of 2 Corinthians, it's really important that we understand. We need to look at the scriptures not as something that we can kind of just skip through, but we need to look at them as an inheritance letter from a lawyer that is telling us what we have got, what we have inherited. Our, Our minds should be keenly looking for what is it that's in there that I can take and I can apply? First and Second Corinthians are Paul's most personal letters. He is you know, all up in their business about all kinds of different stuff. The sin that was in the church, um, the problems, the divisions, all kinds of junk, that uh, really of any of the other letters. And he writes two letters to the Corinthians more than any of the other churches, and he even wrote a third letter as well between those two letters that we don't have that's referred to in 2 Corinthians. Um, But there's a ton of love in there. Paul loved the church at Corinth, loved the church, and he considered himself the father of that church. He considered himself the pastor of that church, and he so wanted those people not to be led astray, and they were being led astray. Uh, between First and Second Corinthians, Paul wrote a letter that we don't have, and he sent it with Titus. It was a harsh letter that was correcting the Corinthians, and they responded well to that letter. They actually, uh, the scriptures tell us that they were sorrowful about the sin and the sin that was in their church, and they made changes. But there was still one huge problem that Paul addresses, and this is this is very relevant to us um, today. There were, within the church, 
persuasive speakers, people who were really good at talking, people who were loud, people who were proud, who were leading the church. And it wasn't even that their message was bad, but they were so much full of themselves and not full of Christ. Paul refers to them tongue-in-cheek as super-apostles. These super-apostles come in there, uh, claiming authority. They were critical of Paul. They questioned Paul's motives and, he, who's, and his opinions. Who did he think he was anyway? They described him as um, <clears throat> having speech of no account. The guy doesn't even make sense. Not impressive in appearance. Paul, you're ugly, too. Weak, lacked confidence, lacked charisma, and he rambled on and on. And if you've read Paul's letters, I mean, even Peter said, you know, (laughs) Paul kind of goes on and on a little bit when he's writing his letters. And Paul said of himself, he said, I am weak. He was was self-deprecating. He said, I am the least of the apostles. I am the greatest of sinners. And they said, you're right. They took his humility, his meekness, and they said he's weak, and you shouldn't even listen to him. And he comes and tries and tells you, tell you what to do. You don't need to listen to him. Listen to us. So this had crept into the church. And one of the reasons that I bring that up to you is that we live in a society today where there are lots of loud voices. People telling us what's important. People telling us what to do. If you have any sort of social media whatsoever, there are, my goodness, there's a lot more experts than there used to be about lots of stuff these days. that tell you how to live, tell you what to eat, tell you what to wear, tell you what to... All of those things, make no mistake, all of those things are shaping our minds all of the time. They're shaping how we think. Am I saying, throw away your phone, turn off your TV? Maybe. (laughs) I, I, I don't know that I'm saying that, but what I am saying is we need to be super, super careful. So I want to ask you, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to on a regular basis that is shaping your mind. Because our society, our society is not going in the way of the scriptures. Our society is not going in the way of following Christ. The church was admiring and listening to those people. So who are you listening to? Who's shaping it? All right, take a look at the text with me. Took me a long time to get to that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> oh, and uh, one last little thing here. So, um, Paul has been very, he's talked about a bunch of different things in 2 Corinthians, and he's kind of given them a little preview in first, in 2 Corinthians 1, where he said, we were, we were sincere and gentle towards you. But then, Chapters 10 through 13 um, might as well begin with, oh yeah, let me tell you something. And so for the next three chapters, Paul is going to say, you think I'm nothing? 
let me tell you who I am. And then he gives a list and defends himself as, as an apostle. This is a very personal, kind of edgy part of, of Paul's ministry where he uses sarcasm. He, he is very pointed in the things that he's, uh, in the things that he's saying here. Okay. Second Corinthians, um, 11, 1 through 4. <clears throat> he said, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I should start every sermon that way. Um, For I feel a divine jealousy towards you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul Paul helped to get this church going. This Paul, Paul established this church, taught the people in this church. He looked at them as his children. He looked at them as a father who is about to walk down the aisle with his bride to present his bride to Christ. And the bride is looking everywhere but at Christ. I I betrothed you as a husband to present you as a pure virgin, but I am afraid. I'm afraid that as a servant deceived Eve by his cunning that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus other than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you've received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You're you're actually just fine with that. As long as the person is able to be persuasive and and you admire them, you you put up with that. And he says, I am really afraid that you are going to be led astray from the simplicity of the gospel, the purity of the gospel. Um, I I think it's printed in your bulletin, but uh, Paul refers to Genesis chapter 3. He says, as the serpent led Eve astray, I'm afraid that you're being led astray. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And of course we know the the rest of the story there, where Eve ate, gave to Adam, Adam ate, and the fall of man. And uh, and on and on, and and we suffer the consequences of that today. It says the serpent was crafty; he was subtle, and he uses um, what is uh, an interrogative of surprise, which which we should know from how people respond to us today. Has God really said you must not eat of any tree of the garden? Has He really said that? Now tell me, and you can actually speak here, what is Satan doing here? What is he doing? 
Tell me some of the things he's doing. <clears throat> he's undermining God. Yep. What else? That's at the heart. What's that? Yes, yes, right. Yeah, exaggerating the restrictions. Yep. So, Satan is casting doubt on God's word. Right at the very beginning. This is it. This, this plan has not changed throughout history. To cast doubt on God's word. It started right at the very beginning. It continues to this day. God's character, God's motives. He twists God's word. God didn't say they couldn't eat of any tree of the garden. That's not what God said. He claims that God's word is not reliable. He claims God is actually lying. When he, no, that, that's not true. What he's telling you is not true at all. You're not going to die. God's lying to you. And then he claims that God is actually afraid of man. You know, if you guys learn this stuff, you're going to be like him, and he's afraid of that. God's favorite, or not God, Satan's favorite attack is not what we expect. Satan's favorite attack is, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Now let me ask you an honest question here. This account this Genesis 3 account that we have here, did this actually happen? Uncomfortable silence. (laughs) Did this actually happen? It's a good question. It's an important question. Did this actually happen? Now, Pastor Michael's getting nervous over there as to how I'm going to follow that up. Uh, Was there a literal creation? Was there a literal Adam and Eve? Well, uh, according to Gallup poll, as much as you want to put your faith in them, uh, 25% of American Christians believe that the Bible is the literal inspired word of God. One quarter believe that the Bible is the the literal inspired word of God. Now we can get into some of the semantics with the literal aspect of it because people misuse that. It's important to talk about this. People misuse that some because they're like, you take the Bible literally. Well, I take the Bible as it was meant to be, meant to be written. I'm not taking the book of Proverbs as a literal, if I raise up my kids in this way, they will never go away at all. These are proverbial statements. You look at, uh, you know, the Psalms, you look at, uh, you look at the historical books, you, you take the books the way that they were meant to be. And folks, when you go in the back of the, if you have a Bible in the back of your Bible, those of you who still carry one of these paper things here, Many of these have maps in the back. Narnia and Mordor are not here, okay? These are actual historical places that are here in the Bible. This Bible is meant to be a historical document. This is one of the reasons I'm actually here today, because it drives me nuts. (laughs) 
where I am in the, I, I work in a senior living community. I've been, uh, I've been a chaplain. I've been a, this will scare you, an interfaith chaplain, which means I have in the hospital gone and been with all kinds of different people, which has given me wonderful opportunity and quite the tightrope walk of living as a Christian, as a conservative Christian, and I was the only one in my group, living as a conservative Christian, but ministering to people who are not, who think that this is fables. And in fact, 16% of American Christians believe this is fables. Adam and Eve were not. Jonah? Come on. The fish, Lot, his wife, turning into a pillar of salt? Folks, these are all things that Jesus referred to, that Jesus pointed back to. Jesus said, you know those things in the Old Testament? All of those things were pointing towards me. So if we're going to throw this out, we're throwing Jesus out along with that. Now, I, um, my wife said I didn't have time for this, and I don't. But anyways, I'll show you anyway. Because um, this is important. Don't let people say it's just a book. Um, okay, so look at this. This is, this is a newspaper that I grabbed when I was seven years old. I have saved this for 54 years. <laughs> Man walks on the moon, right? And we're looking at this going, oh, hey, that's pretty cool. And it is, it is pretty cool. And I've, I've still hung on to it. This is 54, 50, yeah, 54 years ago. Did you know that we have pieces of the Bible that are close to, that, almost that close to the time when Jesus walked on the earth. We have, we have parts of the Bible, parts of the book of John that are that close to the time when it is written. Don't let anyone tell you that there, that this book was thrown together by man over time. This book was meticulously put together over time and meticulously kept. The, I, I won't go on and on. Please look into it. Look into it for yourself. Look into what is the reliability of Scripture? What is the manuscript evidence for the Scriptures that we have? Look into it. And if you're going to ooh and ah at who walked on the moon, Jesus made the moon, okay? He made the moon, made the stars. Make sure that the moon stays right where it is so that the waters don't go winging over us and that they go back and forth and do what they're supposed to do. That is a God thing. That is all a God thing. Anyways, I get frothy about that. But dig into the book. And so, since it is reliable, we need to pay attention to it. We need to pay attention to it. I just, I just did a memorial service um, for a very dear woman, a doctor passed away um, where I work, and his wife is a doctor. Incredibly intelligent people. Uh, daughter is a professor at Cal. The other daughter is the CFO of some company. These are the most accomplished people in the world I've ever met. 
without faith whatsoever. Absolutely without faith. And I had a relationship with the family all during the time when he was, he was going through his Parkinson's thing. And so they said, Scott, would you do the memorial service? We don't want you to pray. Um, cause probably dad didn't like prayer. Although I, when I asked his wife about it, she said, yeah, I think he'd, I think he'd want you to pray. He went to Catholic church with me when we first got married. So that'd be all right. So I did, I prayed with him the day before he passed away. Didn't want that in the memorial service. Certainly no talk of, you know, in this verse or that verse. It's tough doing a a funeral service for somebody who does not know Christ because you can talk about biblical principles, but you can't really connect them with the person that is there. So we we did have biblical, I read it to Eleanor uh, before I did it, and there was biblical stuff that was throughout the time there, but I, I was so hampered. And I, in a time when these people needed hope, like real hope, not just dad was a really good guy and all of that, and now he's gone and I don't know where he is. They needed hope. I could not give them that hope at that time. There was, there was and I mean, even to be thankful for him, to who? To who to be thankful for him? So I, I, I just I want to beg you to be in God's word and to apply God's word and to not take it for granted because most of the world does. Most of the world does not know it. And these these fragments that we have from the past, the reason that they're fragments is because when Paul wrote his letter, it got passed around, passed around, passed around. They didn't print off 200 copies of it running on the Xerox machine. Somebody wrote down and meticulously copied a few of these things. They were copied and copied and handed out. My Bible looks beat up, and and it's just my Bible. That's because I've dropped it a couple of times. How many Bibles do you have? How many Bibles do you read? Charles Stanley said, um, your knowledge of God's word is incomplete until you actually make it an active part of your life. It's incomplete unless you actually make it a, an active part of your life. Um, and that's just in, in closing, focusing on our simple devotion to Christ. We need to get to know this Jesus. We need to get to know him. Whatever you know about Jesus today, you're just beginning. You're just beginning. The one who will never leave you or forsake you, the one who created you, the one who loves you, sustains you, paid for your sins, the one, the one who weeps with you when everyone else turns their back on you and does not support you, the one who understands when you fail for the 47th time in the same way that you promised God you would not fail. That is the Jesus that we worship. He is worth getting to know better and better and better. The one who is faithful even though I'm faithless. So I'm going to ask you, what are you going through right now? What is, what is your deepest need today? What do you know about the scriptures related to that? And what are you going to do today about that?
I have preached, I don't know, five, six hundred sermons or whatever in my life. And I'll tell you, many times those sermons went through me to somebody else and nothing stuck. So many times. That is a shame. That is a shame. Um, absolutely planning to apply God's word is so, so important. So that means developing a toolbox. If you don't know what tools, what scriptural godly tools that you have, you are going to do what you've always done when faced with that situation. You will default to what you have always done before. Those ruts that we dig real deeply in our lives, you'll go back to doing the same thing unless you have a plan to do something else, a plan for transformation. You're going to be transformed by God's word. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir and y'all are already doing that and you're 12 steps ahead of me then. I, I'm just I'm just beginning to really process this and do it. I want to encourage you to develop a plan today. I want to encourage you to plan to be, if you are not, every day in God's Word. I want you to start today. I want to challenge you to start today to every day be in God's Word. I don't have time for that. And to do it applying. I'm in my third year in a row now of going through the Bible, reading through the Bible in a year. Here I go, going to go through it. Made it through Leviticus, etc., etc. I'm about a week behind right now. And to be honest with you, there's sometimes I'm kind of skim reading a little bit there just to, to get through. I'm, I'm a week behind and Hard as I try, I haven't been able to catch up just yet. I've been like two weeks ahead this year, too. Uh, then I was like a week behind, back, kind of back and forth. But you know what? There is a plan. I am in God's Word. There's lots of plans that are, that are out there. I want to encourage you, start to, please start today, because if you start today and you do it for three weeks, you're going to continue to do it. Very likely, you're going to continue to do it. And get some little helps. Get some, grab a concordance, grab a, grab a commentary. What do you want me to get all fanatical? Well, yeah, I do because we should know God's word. I am not that smart. I really am not. Michael's pretty smart, but I'm, I'm, I'm not that smart. But I can understand God's word. It is not too complex. The problem is not not understanding God's word. It's, it's the stuff I do understand that I don't really want to do. That's where the issue is. Have that in the toolbox. Praising God, too. Gosh, thank you again so much, you guys, for leading us in worship this morning. It is really difficult to shake your fist at God and at the same time praise Him. It is difficult to be crazy anxious and worshiping God at the same time. It is a wonderful tool that God has given us to be in his presence, to refocus on him. And it, it changes things. Mad at your spouse? Go try and worship God for a, even a minute or two and see what that does to your marriage. We don't want to. That's the thing. We don't want to. Because we want to be Self-driving Christians, not God-driven Christians.
I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. I'm not, I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm just saying, hey, we're all together. We've got God's word. Let's use it. Let's use it as a resource. And that is, that is very, very simple. One, one last, just close with this. So I take care of old people. That's what I do. And I also have an old people. I have my mom, who is 90, who is a lot of trouble. She lives in Michigan. I love my mom so much. I talk to her every single day on the telephone. Some days it just drags me. <laughs> but I, I enjoy my mom. I have to tell her a joke every single day. Every day since pandemic, told my mom a joke. She's got to have at least one joke from me. So I'm looking. All, if you guys have jokes, please tell me. I need them. I've gone through every book that there is to tell my mom a joke. Um, my dad passed in May. My mom took care of my dad. And I had a heck of a time getting my mom to get any help. In the, in the house there. She just wanted to do it herself. Just wanted to do it herself. Oh, you got So, you know, it wasn't until really just the end that I got somebody that was there. Now, Dad has passed away, and she's on her own, and Mom needs help now. My mom has a stomach problem right now. She's had this problem for like three months. Mom, you really need to have somebody that's there with you. My mom actually said... As soon as I get over this stomach thing, as soon as I'm well, then I'll get some help. Do you see where I'm going with this? As soon as I get my life together, then I'll get in the scriptures. Then I'll really start to dig there. No, I need help today. I need help today right where I am. Today is the day. Today is a new day. Today is a day when we can be simply devoted to Christ through his word. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much um, that you are patient with me and kind. And um, I thank you that you continue to teach me new things every day. I thank you for the privilege of being able to open up your word and looking with my friends here, I just pray for your blessing and protection over them and their families. All the kids that were running around in here, I just thank you for these little ones. What a responsibility you've given us to raise up a generation of kids that love you and love your word. Um, God, I just pray that you would continue to give uh, moms and dads wisdom as they care for these kids. Bless and protect our marriages. God, help us as we go out into the workplace. Help us to be an example for you. Help us to recognize when uh, the evil one or our flesh or the world is whispering in our ears, did God really say that? Bring this to mind, God, that we would refocus with confidence in who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.